Well, good morning. How's everyone this morning? Good. That's a great response compared to the 30. You're awake. This is good. Good. Well, my name is Kevin Wilsey. If you don't know me, I'm on staff here. I'm minister of operations and community groups. And so and you may have met me if you filled out a connect card or uh, have recently uh, started visiting Norris Ferry. I would love if I haven't met you, I'd love the opportunity to meet you at the welcome desk after after this service. But I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Last service, apparently I put the podium back here and I was in the dark. And so hopefully I'm in the light now, this service. Uh, well, if you would, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 4, chapter 4. So go ahead and turn there, 1 Samuel chapter 4. And today is a long narrative and it's a, uh, a powerful narrative, a convicting narrative. And so... Um, let me just set the stage for us. Let, let me uh, give us the big picture of Samuel, right? At the beginning of chapter two, if you remember, we have this beautiful song from this woman named Hannah, right? And if you remember, Hannah was barren, but the Lord gave her favor and she conceived and had a son named Samuel. And because of the Lord's favor, Hannah then worships the Lord. She sings this song. She breaks out in worship and praise to the Lord, singing, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Showing God's holiness, showing God's glory and favor. But also in her song through chapter two, we notice some other key themes that we will see throughout the book of 1 Samuel as we continue to go through it. But we see themes like God is the only God. And no matter the evil or sin in the world, God is still working. And we also see that one day God will provide a messianic king, an everlasting savior. But there's another theme within her song that we see clearly. And it's that God opposes the proud and gives, gives grace to the humble. That God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Chapter two, verses three through five. They say, talk no more. This is Hannah's praise. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the might are broken, but the feeble bind on, bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. And the barren has borne seven, but she who has many children are forlorn." we see that the proud are opposed and the humble are raised up. And throughout chapters two and three, it is clear that God is opposing the proud and giving grace to the humble, right? We have seen Eli, the priest of Israel, and his two worthless sons be opposed by God because of their pride. All the while, at the same time, God is raising up this humble Samuel in the background. However, today we, we come to chapter four and we see that God is going to focus in on the proud. 
he turns his attention to the Israelites, to Eli and his sons, and he goes directly after their pride. And as chapter two says, their actions are going to be weighed. So this morning in this narrative, we will see the presumptions of the proud and the consequences of the proud. The presumptions of the proud and the consequences of the proud. So we're going to buckle up, and by buckle up, I mean we're going to pray. So let's pray. Father, you are good and gracious to us. You are a God of mercy and justice. You are a loving Father. God, this morning, I pray that you will do some surgery on our hearts. That if we are living for anything other than you, then will you please remove that from our lives? So that in all we do, we glorify you. You are the only one who deserves worship and praise. Let us take seriously the warning this morning to not live with prideful hearts, but to live as people after your heart. Father, please show us grace this morning. Let us see that you have provided us a way to turn from our pride and follow you with our whole hearts and serve you with all our lives. And that is through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his holy and glorious name that I pray. Amen. All right, so let's turn to chapter four, verse one, starting in verse one. And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. Stop there. All right, that will be the last time that you hear about Samuel for a few chapters until chapter seven, right? But Samuel, the humble, he is the prophet of the Lord. So this verse here is just referring to him as the established prophet of the Lord to Israel from chapter three, what we looked at last week. All right, so now let's continue the rest of verse one. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer and the Philistines encamped at Aphex. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? All right, pause there. So here we see the Philistines, an enemy of the Israelites. They were on the coast, came out of Egypt. They're, they're kind of Egyptians, but they, they're coming to pick a fight. They're coming to pick a battle. And they decided to move to a place called Aphex. And the Israelites were just two miles away and camped at a place called Ebenezer. And then they drew up. So for all the older people in here, that's just slang here in the Bible, meaning they grabbed their swords. They're ready to go into battle. And they went against Israel. And what happened? What happened? The Israelites were defeated. 4,000 men dead. And that day's battle was over. But when the Israelites came back to camp, all the leaders, they gathered around, they gathered in a circle, and they asked a question. And they asked a great question. They asked the right question. They asked, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? See, what's important here is to remember that the Israelites, they're God's people. 
He calls them his son, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a nation that would reflect God's glory and God's character to other nations. God in the past has brought them out of slavery. He has allowed them to be victorious over their enemies because these are God's chosen people. So they ask, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? The right question, a great question to ask. Lord, I thought you were with us. We are your people Why were 4,000 of our friends and brothers and fathers killed today? Why were we defeated? But before they even have time to consider an honest answer for that question, before they even really have time to stop and take a breath, They move on and they answer it in the middle of verse three. Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh that it it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they were there with the ark of the covenant of God. How many of you guys remember Hophni and Phinehas? Who were they? Worthless. Yeah, we've talked a lot about them recently, but, but they're worthless. They were Eli's sons, right? Who, who is Eli? The priest over Israel. Yeah. And we all know from chapter two, just as Mickey, Mickey just shared, that they're wicked, they're worthless. They, the author says that they do not know the Lord. And it's very clear that Phineas and Hophni are doing whatever is right in their own eyes. And the sad thing is that their dad, the priest of Israel, Eli, has put them in charge at the temple in Shiloh. They, he has put them in charge of God's house. And these two guys, they come in and they just wrecked havoc on the place. Right? They stole people's food and fat from the meat as they came to offer it to the Lord, essentially just stealing directly from God. They took advantage of their authority. They came and they abused and they used women that were coming to serve in the house of God. See, these guys were only living for themselves. And they really thought that they could do whatever they wanted. And it was clear that the only thing they wanted was to please themselves. They had no interest in worshiping God. They had no interest in obedience to God. And their dad, Eli, he knew all about it. And as we will find out, he probably participated in uh, parts of it with them. But do you remember what the Lord promises to Eli and Eli's sons? What does he promise? judgment, destruction. He promises to kill them, that no sacrifice will be able to atone for their sins. Everyone knows they are wicked and the Lord has promised judgment on them. And here we are in chapter four and who's carrying the ark of God. 
these two wicked, worthless guys. See, Israel should not be near these dudes. God's judgment is coming. But I think this picture gives us an insight into what kind of spiritual state the Israelites are actually in. To allow these dudes to take care of the ark of God. Look back at verse 3. Why has the Lord defeated us today? Let's bring the ark into battle with us. Surely it will save us from our enemies. And by the way, Hophni and Phinehas, they're going to grab it for us and, and bring it to us. Like what? That logic does not make sense at all. Well, let's think about this for a second. The Israelites in, in general, as far as we know, are still living how the book of Judges ends. How does the book of Judges end? It ends with the verse, in those days, there is no king in Israel. All are doing right what is in their own eyes. So in their pride, Israel thinks that they can use God because they have the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the very presence and glory of God. They think that they can just take God and carry him wherever they want him for their own victory and for their own desires. I think for you to fully grasp this, we need to understand a little, about, a little bit about the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of God. What is the Ark of Covenant? Well, the Ark of Covenant was a, a gold box that carried the Ten Commandments in it, right? This covenant that the Israelites and God have made to one another. It's also carried, it also carried some manna. Do you remember what manna is? Bread that God provided to the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness in Exodus 16. And so the Ark represents the covenant that they made with God. It represents God's provision for the Israelites. But then at the top of this golden box, the ark, there was this little area called the mercy seat. And this is where God's presence and glory would come and dwell. So the ark represented the presence and glory of God. And God's glory with Israel means that Israel has God's favor. Israel has God's blessing. And the ark in the past also has helped Israel to become victorious over their enemies. And so the Israelites in this setting, they might be thinking back to that, right? They might be thinking back to Joshua 3 and Joshua 6 where the ark went before them and allowed them to cross into the Jordan River on dry ground. Right? God commanded the ark to go into the Jordan, the priests to go into the Jordan. And what happened to the Jordan? It walled up and there was dry ground so that the Israelites, God's chosen people, would cross the Jordan on dry ground into the promised land. And they continue. And in Joshua 6, they think back and they say, oh, the, the ark, God God allowed the ark to lead us to circle around Jericho for seven days. And on the seventh day, after the seventh time, Jericho, our enemy, was laid flat. They were defeated. You see, the ark of God was the presence of God. And it did lead the Israelites to be victorious in battles. 
But the difference is that God was always the one directing and guiding Israel. He would tell them to do this with the ark, to do that with the ark. And here we see that it's opposite. We see Israel try to tell God what to do, to force God to serve them by bringing the ark into battle for them. So instead of the Israelites going and seeking God's wisdom, taking a breath and going and seeking God's guidance, instead of waiting on an answer from the Lord or going to the prophet of the Lord, Samuel, who is already established, or even just simply going to the Bible, the, their word of God, God's law, and seeing in Deuteronomy 28 or Leviticus 26 that God has clearly shown them there are consequences for living in disobedience and part of those consequences were getting spanked by the enemy. And if they went to the word of God, they would see God is trying to get their attention and call them to repent of their disobedience but they're not thinking about their sin. Why? Because their pride is in the way. The Israelites are only thinking about what they think is best for them. In their pride, they grab the Ark of the Covenant and they try to use it. And they try to use it like a lucky rabbit's foot, pulling it out of their pocket, rubbing it, saying, come on, God, show up. Like a genie in a bottle. God, I need you now. God, come be victorious. Okay, God, I need this, and I'm, I'm part of your chosen family. I have the ark, so you kind of have to. Man, how similar are the Israelites to Eli's sons, right? In their actions, they abuse and use God to get what they want, or in this case, at least, they're trying to do that. So in their pride, they presume that God's favor and blessing is still with them. In their pride, they presume that God is going to do what they want. Let's continue and see what happens. Verse 5, as soon as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. Imagine standing there in the camp, feeling the ground shake under your feet because of the joy and excitement that Israel has. The Israelites think they've already won. They think that victory is already theirs. They they continue to assume that God is going to work for them. Verse six, and when the Philistines heard the noise of shouting, two miles away, They heard this noise. They heard their joy. The Philistines, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, rightly so. For they said, a God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us. For nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us! Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. 
See, the Philistines, they understood what God can do. They get it a little wrong. They think it's many gods, but they know the story of Exodus. They've heard how this God has crushed all the other Egyptians' gods. And then I just imagine one little Philistine guy, probably not how it happens, but I imagine one little guy looking for his moment. He calls out and he says, take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. Their their superstitions, their little magic trick, it didn't work. And they fled every man to his home and there was a very great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they're dead. See, here we start to see the consequences of the proud. For Israel, for Hophni and Phinehas, their pride brought judgment upon them. For Hophni and Phinehas, the Lord fulfills his promise. He keeps his word to judge them, to kill them because of their wickedness, because they lived doing right what was in their own eyes. And for the Israelites... Their consequence for using God for themselves was judgment and a great defeat. Many people dying and a loss of the ark of God, a loss of blessing and favor from God. We clearly see God opposing the proud. God's judgment is a consequence to those who worship themselves instead of him. But Eli, the priest, is still alive. So let's see what happens to Eli. Verse 12, starting in verse 12. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day. With his clothes torn and with dirt on his head, when he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching. For his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were set so he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons, also Hophni and Phinehas, they're dead and the ark of God has been captured. Check this, verse 18. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died for the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel 40 years. So picture Andrew Gaspard, who can run many, many miles, runs 20 miles 
into town, yelling the news that Israel has been defeated. And the whole city goes into mourning. But Eli, the priest, he's waiting by the road. He's waiting on his seat. And when you read seat, read throne, because it's the same word in Hebrew. For the Benjamite, he's coming to tell the news. And Eli's waiting for him. He's sitting on his own throne waiting. And Eli hears the cries of the city, the mourning of the city, and he's heart starts to race, thinking the worst. But what is on his mind is not that, uh, not is his, are his sons safe? But what happened to the ark of God? And he's given the news. Israel has been defeated. Your sons are dead and the ark of God has been captured. And I love how the author then points out that specific detail being intentional that as soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli, he fell over backward off of his throne and broke his neck because of his weight. The weight here is the same root word for glory giving us the picture that as soon as Eli heard the news of, how, of, how, of what happened, the ark of God being gone, he fell over back, backward off his throne in his own glory, right? Eli hears the news and he's thinking, I'm careless. I was careless with, with God's glory. I'd lived... For, my own, I lived for my own glory. He was stealing glory from God. And he, along with his sons, they were fattening themselves, off, fattening themselves on the parts of the offerings that belonged to God. He was literally packing on glory. Packing on his own glory, stealing from God. You see, Eli's consequences for ignoring the Lord and stealing glory for himself. In his prideful heart, his consequence was judgment. He fell off his throne, and in his own glory, he died. God opposes the proud. His judgment came to those who live for their own glory, who sit on their own throne, who fatten themselves with their own desires. But the story's not done. I wish it was, would be done, but it's not done. Verse 19, we're gonna see that the news of the defeat continues to travel and we're gonna see another consequence of their pride. Verse 19, now his daughter-in-law, Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women attending her said to her, do not be afraid for you have borne a son. This is a great privilege in their culture. They're hoping to give her some encouragement, some, some hope as she's on her deathbed bed, trying to make her happy. But it says she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod, saying the glory of God has departed from Israel. 
because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. So here we have the wife of Phineas receiving the news about everyone dying and the ark being captured. And in her distress, she goes into labor and she's on her deathbed. But as she gives birth to a son, she names him Ichabod, meaning where is the glory? Where is the glory? So every time that this poor boy is called, his name is called, the question is asked, where is the glory? And the people remember that Israel has lost the glory of God, that God has departed from Israel. Where is the glory? The answer is it has departed. There is no glory. There is no favor or blessing upon them. Israel has been living in disobedience, living in their pride and under the covenant they made with God that if they don't obey, if they live in sin, then there will be consequences. And the consequences for Israel's pride is God's favor and blessing departing them. The ark being stolen is this physical symbol, this picture of God's glory departing them. But I think the glory of God departed them long ago. H.L. Ellison shares, the glory of God had departed in one sense, but the glory left The glory left when Israel stopped repenting and trusting God and started superstitiously trusting in the ark itself. The glory of God had indeed departed, but not because the ark of God had been captured. The ark had been captured because the glory had already been departed. So from the beginning the very beginning in Hannah's song, we hear about the proud. We hear about the arrogant. We hear about the fool. And we have learned that the proud is not among Israel's enemies, but the proud is Israel themselves. From Eli to his sons to the Israelites, they abused and used God for their own glory. They didn't turn from their sin and trust in God, but in their pride, they presumed God would do what they wanted when they needed him. And the consequences of their pride was God's judgment upon them and God's glory departing. God opposes the proud. So let me ask you some heart-examining questions. Do you presume that God is going to work for you? Do you use him like a lucky rabbit's foot? Do you use him like a genie in a bottle? Do you use him like a waiter in a restaurant? I need water. I need, I need Only coming to him when you need something, only calling out his name when you want something. Do you go through the motions of a Christian coming on Sunday mornings or during the week at community groups because you think if you show up, then God's gonna be forced to show up for you, that God is going to be forced to do what you want him to? Who gets the glory when things are going well? 
who gets the glory when you plan a prayer meeting, when you plan a Bible study, when you serve your friends, when you serve the community, who gets the glory? Who gets the glory when you only read the Bible to drop nuggets of of truth on your friends? Who is sitting on the throne in your heart? Is it God? Or are you stealing his glory? Are you sitting there on your throne stealing his glory? So let me warn you of the consequences of pride. One day God's going to return. We know that. The Bible tells us that. And on that day, there's going to be judgment. We don't know when that day is going to be. We don't know if it's this afternoon, if it's tomorrow, if it's in 10 years. We don't know. But what we do know is that if we live for ourselves, if we live in our pride, declaring in our hearts that we don't want God to be God, but we want to be God, then judgment day is coming. And we are walking around blind and our pride is weighing us down. And you will be knocked off of your own throne and God's glory won't be with you. However, if you've been living for your own glory, there's still time to come to God. If you believe in Jesus, but you've been living for yourself, there's still time to come to, come to God. The time is now. Yes, God opposes the proud, but the end of this truth, the end of that passage is that God gives grace to the humble. The prophet Samuel eventually calls Israel in chapter 7 to humble themselves, to repent. He calls them to give up their idols, to give up their own glory, to give up their pride and return to the Lord with all their heart to live in obedience to him. And the call is same for us. We must humble ourselves and see that the wages of our sin, the wages of our pride, what is it? It is death. But the free gift of God, God's grace, is eternal life in Jesus Christ. God in his grace, he gave us Jesus. And it's belief in Jesus that we are saved from judgment. Because Jesus already paid for our sins. Jesus already paid for our pride. Now we receive grace, we we receive eternal life. So as Samuel calls Israel to repent, let me call you that if you believe that, then we must live every day with the mindset of Christ. We must live every day as Philippians 2 says, to repent and turn from our pride, to humble ourselves, to serve God with all our heart, just as Christ humbled himself. Coming down from heaven to live among us, living a perfect life, one we cannot live. Submitting to God, his Father with all his heart, even unto death on the cross, dying for our sins, dying for our pride, And he was exalted and God bestowed on him the name 
that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess in heaven, on earth, under earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, you deserve all glory. You deserve all our praise. Let us not take you lightly. Let us not take your glory lightly, but let us humble ourselves and offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. Father, may we not rob you of your glory. May we not abuse or use you for our own glory, but may we put aside our pride and turn to you. May we right now repent of our pride, repent of living for ourselves and turn and commit to humble ourselves and serve you with our whole heart because of what your son Jesus Christ has done. Father, I pray that if anyone looks at our lives or asks us where is the glory, that our answer is not that the glory has departed, but that we can confidently point to you and your glory found in Jesus. God, you oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble. May we die to ourselves and bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.